Uh, we come to a very important uh, crossroad this morning, appropriate to our class, uh, in our study of the book of Exodus. You, usually when you think of the book of Exodus, you think of a couple key events. One would be the theophany that Moses experienced in Exodus 2. Then you have the Red Sea. And then I suppose in your thinking, you, you move to chapter 20. And uh, you have a tendency to skip over what we're going to look at today, and that is chapter 19. Chapter 19 is uh, actually a uh, preamble to what's going to happen in chapter 20, which is the giving of the law. Uh, So the the last time we were together, uh, Moses, in chapter 18, bade his father-in-law Jethro farewell, and he went his way into his own land. So fading into the background, um, Jethro had been a help to Moses by saying, you ought to do things a little bit differently. You appoint elders who will help you make decisions. So now we come to chapter 19, and this is actually where the covenant is made. We usually think of chapter 20 as the giving of the covenant, when actually we're going to find these verses here are very important. Verse 1, in the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, On that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people set them before all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I shall come to you in a thick cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Well, that's a long passage. There's a lot that takes place here. Uh, I, I just I can't skip over the opportunity to say notice just how the 
the passage begins, in the third month after the sons of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. Uh, there's been a book written, and I think I've mentioned it before, called The Gift of the Jews. And it was written uh, over a decade ago. And the book is all about what is the primary gift of the Jews to civilization. And it's the gift of time, the gift of uh, saying that, that time is important. So here you have the third month, the sons of Israel go out of Egypt. This is datable. This, this took place. And, and everything that happens in time is unique. It's unrepeatable. Now, we, sometimes we say that things move in cycles, but, but actually each one of us is unique. Each one of us is an individual. Each event in history is part of God's unfolding plan. So here, so many times... Things are dated in the Bible. We just skip over it. We just kind of take it for granted. Uh, we're going to, you know, kick out the old year tomorrow night and kick in the new year the next day. And we, that's become a kind of a ritual where the, the old year is kind of ragged and bent over and gray-haired and the new year is a, a baby. What? I mean, that's a, a kind of a ritual that we go through. But the, the whole point of new years, months, days, years, God set the, the, the heavens so that we could keep time, and that's just a wonderful gift. I know we, we don't like to look at ourselves and say, you know, when did I stop being me when we look in the mirror? You know, that's a, that's a great line I read in the book. When did I stop being what I think I look like? Um, so, so age goes on, but that's an important thing. So they're coming out from Rephidim, the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness. We learn in Numbers that they will spend 10 months camped there. So it's been three months since they came out of Egypt. Now they're going to be camped for 10 months. Um, and a lot's going to happen in that 10 months. And because you have to go over into the book of Numbers to, uh, to follow up on that. But uh, here's, here's the important thing that happens here. The Lord went up, Moses went up to God in verse 3. The Lord called to him from the mountain, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob. Here is the fourth covenant in the Bible. The first covenant, you don't see the word. It's the covenant with Adam. Don't eat of the, fruit, the fruit of the garden. Dress the garden and keep it. Uh, there's the tree of life there. You may eat from that. Eat of everything, but don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now the word covenant is not used there, but it's clear that a covenant is established. And when Adam and Eve break that covenant, it has disastrous results. The first time we see the word covenant is with Noah, that God makes a covenant with Noah. It's a covenant of promise. Uh, we don't have to do anything for that. God promises that he will do this. He will not flood the earth again. And then in chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. It's a promise covenant. I am going to bless you. I am going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a people. Now we have the covenant with Moses. And then, of course, the, the last great covenant of the Old Testament is the covenant with David, promising us the Messiah. So, so what does God say here in verse 4? This is beautifully put. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, number one, how I bore you on eagles' wings. What a beautiful metaphor. Born, being, being born on, on the eagles' wings that can fly and soar, and I brought you out. And what else did I do? I brought you to myself. So here is, we're going to have a group theophany. 
a group theophany. The, the theophany that we looked at in, in Exodus 3 was an individual theophany to, to Moses. When God appeared to Abraham, that was an individual theophany. Here we have a, an appearance of God. That's what a theophany is. An appearance of God that comes to thousands of people. And it's this theophany on the mountain. Um, so it's, 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 uh, uh, this is actually, verse 4, is actually the preamble to the covenant. Every covenant has a preamble in which the parties of the covenant are introduced. So, who are the parties of the covenant? I, I did to you, and I brought you to myself. Now, that's exactly what we're going to read in Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So, most, almost all covenants have a historical preamble. What has been the relationship between the two parties? You've got a superior party, God, and you have an inferior party, man. So the superior party with, uh, um, with the first covenant was uh, God in the garden, Adam and Eve. The superior party in the Noah covenant is God and Noah is the recipient. In Abraham, the same thing. Now we have a new covenant, a new covenant, a new arrangement. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. The two parties are introduced in this prologue, and then after the prologue are the stipulations. What are the points that the two are agreeing on? And then you have sanctions. What happens when you break the covenant? What, uh, what, what happens there? So, so the point is now, with this historical preamble, identifying who's God, who's the superior party, God is, what did he do? I brought you out on eagle's wings. You are the recipients of God's blessing. And so, therefore, that sets the table then for now what are the terms of the covenant. Very short here, verse 6. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then, and here's, here's the promises, you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Now, just think of what that encompasses. God's the creator of all the world. He put the planets, the stars in space. He made the heavens. He separated the waters, separated the land. He's the originator of all that is. And now he's going to have a special relationship with this group of people. Now, that's in keeping with what God has said to Abraham, that from you all the nations of the world will be blessed. Now, here's a continuation. Now, the, the covenant with Abraham was a promised covenant. I'm going to do this. You're going to have uh, many people that are going to be descended from you. The blessings to the world is going to come through you. I promise that it will be done. Now, in a law covenant, however, it's slightly different. The primary responsibility in a law covenant is upon the inferior party, and that is the people. So what is the responsibility? You will indeed obey my voice. So, so preamble, it's you and me. What, how, how does this relationship depend on? Well, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, and now I, there are going to be stipulations, and this will be the means by which we continue to have a relationship. So, so God is a personal God. He, um, 
He sets before people the terms of the covenant. He's in charge. But the primary responsibility for fulfilling it, now God has his to, to, God will bless the people as they are obedient, but the primary responsibility rests upon the inferior party. You will keep the terms. Now we've, we've seen several times where that's already been tested. Uh, but, but here's the, Here's the big enchilada. Here's the, here's the big, here's the big uh, agreement between God and his people. You're going to be my possession among all the people of the earth. Um, it's just a beautiful picture, is it not? And then he continues, verse 6. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Um, now, that's so important that it's repeated in the New Testament. Just turn to, to, uh, to Peter, uh, because we are now the fulfillment of that, which was originally promised to the Jewish people. First Peter, chapter 2. Again, there's a, a beautiful image metaphor that is used here, that uh, the, the, the church is made up of people who are stones, and they're made up into a temple, and then God will dwell in his people. So uh, in First Peter chapter 2, verse 4, Coming to him, to his living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. There's the word precious again. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are now the holy nation. We are now the royal priesthood. Uh, so in, in, in the Old Testament, Israel, of course, had their own priesthood. Uh, they had their own, eventually a king, and they have their prophets. But the point, the, the point that is being made here is that Israel as a nation is going to be a kingdom of priests and holy in its character. Now, what we don't have is the details. What does that mean to be... Uh, a spiritual priesthood, uh, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Um, just four things I'd mention here. And these are, these are going to be spelled out in Exodus uh, 20 through Leviticus. That's the, all of this is going to be fleshed out in detail. But let me suggest four things. First of all, they are to be an example. Israel as a nation is to be an example, a kingdom, as it were, um, by which the rest of the world would see what a relationship can be between a people and God. So there's an exemplary element here. Um, and, and, and this, of course, is what Israel is constantly um, criticized by the prophets for failing to be that. They are not the example that they should be. Uh, but, but, but clearly, the reason that God gathers them together and gives them a, a dress code, he gives them a food code, he gives them sacrifices, he gives them uh, all kinds of things to do, that was to identify them as a, a people that could be exemplary in their diet, in their dress. That it sets them apart. It, it, it makes them, uh, it, it should be, a shining example. It would be like Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And a city that is set on a hill can't be hid. So Israel should be 
the city on a hill. Israel should be the light to the world. Israel should be an example of what godly people would look like. Now, it's hard enough for one of us to be a godly person. When you add all that together, it just multiplies the difficulty when you think of it. Uh, but but that's, that's the task. I want you to be uh, an example. Um, secondly, I want you to be a means by which the truth gets out to people. I want you to be the kind of people that Jonah refused to be. Jonah refused to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. Jonah refused to be the one who would get the word out. Um, and, and so, therefore, the, the, the point is that, that uh, Israel should be the means by... If, if Israel receives the oracles of God, chapter 20, if he receives the Ten Commandments, you don't keep it to yourself. You don't hide it in your heart. You don't put it under a bushel. You should, be, you, you should proclaim that, verbalize it, um, make it known. All right? Thirdly, uh, you should uh, be a priesthood. Now, now, a priest is a, a mediator. Uh, a prophet is one who speaks on behalf of God to man. A priest is a person who speaks on behalf of the people to God. And so that's why the, the, the whole priestly view of the high priest and their sacrifices, that's what you are to be as a people, a mediator, praying for the nations, uh, sacrificing for the nations, um, uh, being that kind of mediator that is difficult, to be between two parties, um, again, you, you can hardly overemphasize the, the importance of, uh, of, of mediation on behalf of people. And thirdly, they, they should preserve a record of this for the rest of the world to read. Now, uh, in other words, there, there, there's, there's going to be a Holy Scripture. There's going to be a word that's going to be written down. That word needs to be preserved. Um, and... and, and uh, we have it. We have it now. So, so in those, and again, just scratch the surface here for all of these. We're not told this, but I think that that's what's involved in being uh, a, uh, just a kingdom of priests, holy nations, set apart, exemplary, preaching, um, uh, being a mediator, and preserving a written word. Now, maybe that's first something in your mind. I, I ought to pause here. I, I'm on a roll. Uh, so uh, any, any, any comments or, or thoughts? It's an impossible task. That's exactly right. And, and as I said before, it's hard enough for us to do it individually. But when you assign that to a group, you know, we use the example, you know, getting people to do something like herding cats because cats are independent and they want to do things their own way. Um, but this is a, a tremendous challenge to, to the church today because we are, we are God's people now. We, are, we fulfill, as Peter tells us, we are now the holy nation. We are the royal priesthood. Okay. Verse 7, so Moses came down. We have a, a bunch of ups and downs here. It's hard to keep track of where Moses is in these next verses as I, I read them to you. So, so this, is, this is the covenant. It's a, um, notice all this happens before the, the tablets. All this happens before Moses is on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. But this is a crucial passage where the God sets forth the covenant. And now what is man going to do to that? What's Israel going to do? Are they just, you know, that's fine. Well, it's very important, these next verses. 
So Moses came down, told the elders all the words that the Lord had commanded them. Now verse 8 is very important. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. Now, how much has he spoken? All he said is, you've got to keep my covenant. And that's why from Exodus 20 through the book of Leviticus, you've got a lot of ground to cover. But they are committing themselves um, uh, proactively to this. Um, and perhaps we might say it's, it's a little bold to say that you're committing yourself when you haven't gotten all the details yet. But that's what's happening here. God says... I am who I am. You are who you are. I'm entering into this agreement. These are the stipulations. Now, the ball's in your court. And the people do what we are so happy to see them doing. Everybody, unanimous, all the people answered. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So, Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. So, he goes up. Moses goes up to the Lord. The Lord speaks. He comes down to the people. The people agree. Now he's got to go back to the Lord and report this. So, as you say, there's a, there's a good bit of up and down here that you have to follow the ball here where it's going. The Lord also said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments. Let them be ready for the third day. Now, what do you do when you consecrate something? What do you do when you consecrate something? Well, in the scripture, that usually means you make holy. You set them apart. You, you do something to make them acceptable to God. If you didn't do this, then you're not acceptable in God's presence. You don't just rush into God's courtroom. You don't just appear before him. There's, there should be some, some means by which you are prepared. Now, we're not told much about it except for the fact that they're to wash. But it's going to take them two days to do this. Um, So you don't just rush into God's presence. You don't just, uh, the the point is being made here that, okay, you made a verbal commitment. All the Lord said we will do. Now it gets serious. Now you're going to have to come to the mountain. Now you're going to have to confront the holiness of God. Are you going to be holy in his sight? Are you going to be acceptable? So that's huge when when you think of it. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. This is one of those really serious passages in the Bible where uh, we're talking about something that's so serious that life and death hangs in the balance. You don't just go into, in fact, he says in verse 13, no hand shall touch him. No no hand shall even touch the mountain where God appears because your your life could be in danger. Um, He shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether beast or man, he shall not live. This is very, very serious. Uh, When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then you should come up to the mountain, but you don't touch the mountain. Um, So there are boundaries being established here. Um, uh, I I guess we look forward to the the times when the high priest is going to enter into the Holy of Holies, and he doesn't enter into the Holy of Holies without preparation. And only the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies once a year. 
So this is kind of a, a foretaste of that. Um, and you have yeah, this interesting thing in verse 13. Don't go near a woman. Well, some people say, well, that means that somehow sex is dirty. You don't have sex. That, that's not the point. The point is that when you confront God, even that which is normally acceptable and a matter of everyday life, there are some things that you put aside when you confront God. And so it's, it's no smear on our sexuality. It's simply a matter of God is holy, you're going to be holy, and so therefore even some things that are normal, perfectly uh, um, acceptable and even commanded, the marriage bed is holy, we're told in the book of Hebrews. If the marriage bed is holy, there's no stain on it. Uh, but there are times when you would abstain. Any other thoughts? So it came about on the third day, when it was morning, there were thunder, lightning flashes, thick cloud upon the mountain, very loud trumpets sounded, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, what do you picture here? There's two ways that this could have happened. You've got thousands of people, thousands, whether you think it's hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands, you've got thousands of people. Now, did they circle the mountain, or did they all gather in a group at the foot of the mountain? I think probably most of us envision this as a group. Uh, we're not specifically told, but I, I think that the only way that it could be fully appreciated is, is not if they're, they're surrounding it, although with having thousands of people, they could have done that. But I would say that, that probably they're in a group. And then you have uh, thunder and lightning, trumpet sounding, and this has an effect upon people. They tremble. This is, this is a storm theophany. This is a storm theophany, somewhat like what Elijah had when he ran away and he hid in the cave and, and God came in the, in the lightning and he came in the storm but, uh, and so forth. So this is, this is a, a, a very frightening experience. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. Now, I think that's important. It's not just the peak. It's the whole mountain that is affected by the presence of God. God's presence is, can encompass a whole mountain, not just the peak. I mean, I, before I studied this, if you had asked me what did this look like, I would have said, well, at the peak of the mountain, there was thunder and lightning. No, it, it came down, and now you can see why... Don't go beyond the borders of the mountain or you're going to be uh, killed uh, because that's, that's how dangerous this is. On smoke, verse 18, because the Lord descended upon it in fire and his smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Verse 19, when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. You have this kind of conversation going. We're not told the details here, but apparently there's some kind of communication going on through this. Um, then the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 21, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. 
And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou didst warn us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. Just how repetitive this passage is here, that the, 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 the uh, requirements are being laid out again. Then the Lord said to, them, said to him, Go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So you have a, a series of Moses going up and down and up and down. And now, finally, he and Aaron alone. Um, and again, I, I think I had overlooked this in the past. I always thought that Moses was by himself when he received the Ten Commandments. Because that's what's going to come in chapter 20. But... Aaron is there, but the rest of the priests are, are not to come. Um, so this is, a, this is a great chapter um, because it's, it's the, uh, the fourth major covenant. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David would follow, and then the new covenant in the upper room uh, when Jesus celebrates the Last Supper. So there's the, there's the Bible story in, in covenants alone. Adam, uh, Noah, uh, Abraham, Moses, David, Jesus Christ. And all of these covenants we are the benefactors for. Well, we, we, we do know that Aaron d- d- does something very bad uh, in, later on in the story when he, he says, gather all the gold and I'm going to throw it in the furnace and out comes this calf. You know, that... that at this point, uh, we're going to see that it's... I don't know that Aaron's name is mentioned in 20. I'm just scanning now. Moses, 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 Moses. So Aaron was just there as a, as a kind of witness to this. Now remember, Moses and Aaron are both Levites. So they're both from the priestly tribe. Yeah. The, pri- the pri- priest later, Joel's point is the priest later protect the tabernacle. And they, they are around as the... And remember, Adam had a priestly task when he was in the garden. I want you to keep, guard the garden. You should till the garden, but you keep the garden. A priestly task is to preserve, a guard, protect, uh, exactly like, like we have here. And of course, Moses' leadership eventually will be challenged by Miriam and, and others. And, that, and that, the point was, they're going to have this proof that Moses is the leader, chosen. Yeah, very good point. There's a fine line, isn't there, between the fact that Jesus talks about God as Abba, which is the, the language of a child, Daddy. So you've got that intimacy, but then you've also got this holiness that uh, is uh, a guard against the fact that we get so taken in with the notion that God is Daddy that we can not treat him with respect. Yes, that's a, that's a very fine line. Very fine line. R.C. Sproul, if, you, if you've never downloaded or seen R.C. Sproul's um, tape on holiness from Isaiah 6, it's worth downloading. It, uh, it's what got Charles Colson converted. God used that tape to convert John, Charles Colson and his book on the holiness, uh, R.C. Sproul's book on the holiness of God, he talks about the fact that Uzzah wanted to prevent the, te- the Ark of the Covenant from falling into the mud. 
And, and uh, Sproul points out, it's not the mud that's going to make the, the, uh, the ark dirty. It's Uzzah's hands because they didn't follow the prescription to put the ark and carry it correctly. And Uzzah dies because of the holiness of God spoke out against him. Father, we are, we are struck by this passage, um, realizing that it's one of those great moments in history, one of those unrepeatable unique, uh, separate moments uh, in which you called people to yourself. You, you carried them on eagles' wings. You brought them out of Egypt. And now you lay before them and you lay before us the continuing responsibility of, of covenant faithfulness, covenant holiness. And we pray that as we go about our daily lives that we might realize that, that we are part of this royal priesthood, king, holy nation, and uh, that we have responsibilities to be an example and to preserve the scriptures and these other responsibilities. We, we just marvel that you've given that to us. And we pray for our faithfulness in keeping uh, these responsibilities. Now, bless us as we go into worship. Bless our worship uh, that it might be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen.